Well, Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. It's um, good to be in church and um, definitely honoured to bring the first word of the um, year. And um, anyone start New Year's resolutions at the start of this year? Anyone? Anyone broken them already? I thought I would be a morning person this year. I thought, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be a morning person. Because um, I was talking with friends the other day. They were talking about how good it is to get up in the morning. I've broken that resolution right from the get-go. And um, anyway, as Pam said, in the, this series I have decided we're not uh, inviting you to make New Year's resolutions about these decisions. Um, because the problem with New Year's resolutions is that it's based on a time. It's this year, I'm going to do this. But we're going to be talking about the, uh, the fundamentals of Christianity. And we're praying that they would be life resolutions. That your whole life would be built upon the truths of God. And it's not for an enhancement or a, a new year, new you kind of thing. It's a new creation, new way to live kind of thing. And... Um, I'm just praying that that grips your heart as we go through this series. And, um, but today I'll be speaking to you about the decision, which I believe, apart from accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, is the most important and transformational decision that you can make with your life. And it is, if you're taking notes, I have decided to read. Did you bring your Bible with you this morning? Did you bring your Bible? Is it important to you? Is it important to bring the Bible to church? Is it important to know that you have the Word of God with you? Because this is what we're talking about this morning, the Word of God. And I'm not just talking about committing to read just to be entertained or things like that. Committing to read to build your life upon this book. And I believe it's the most important decision that we can make other than inviting Jesus as our saviour, because I believe all things can stem from this book. When you decide to read your Bible, you learn how to pray. And when you decide to read your Bible, you learn how to worship. You, you, you learn what the nature of God is. You learn how to cast out demons. You learn who the Holy Spirit is. You learn about the creative design of an almighty creator. Everything that we need to know if we look, and as Jesus says, if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, we will find it. And I believe it's in this book called the Holy Bible. And to live a victorious Christian life, I believe our fundamental need is the Bible. It is the Bible. It is the way that Jesus speaks to us. This is, um, in parts of Scripture, it's described as the breath of God. That this is living and breathing. And um, I don't think we grasp the importance of it these days. Do we understand what it actually took to get it to us? It... um, Huge journey to get this here. One of the most ancient texts. There are a lot of ancient texts, but this one's the bestseller of all time. And there's been, there's been many lives that have been lost getting this book into my hands today. There are many lives who were killed to get this book in my hands. And there are many lives today still being killed trying to put this book in other people's hands. We can never take for granted the sovereignty 
of this book. And if I'm honest with you today, I began preparations of uh, this sermon completely on my knees, weeping and repenting for the irreverence I have shown his word. Joel will testify. He walked into my house. He's like, hey, I'm like, (laughs) crying. But I believe today God is going to put a reverence back in our hearts for what he reveres as holy. And I'm praying and believing that God will, will let reverence settle upon our hearts today according to his word. There's um, a song that I've been listening to over the last few weeks of Bethel's latest album, and, it's, and it says, May I never lose the wonder. And I pray that for us today, that we wouldn't lose the wonder of God this morning. And uh, with that being said, we're going to take a, few, a look at a few different passages within this incredible book. And... Um, if you can turn with me to 1 Chronicles 13, I'm going to give you a little bit of a backstory while you're turning there. 1 Chronicles 13, it's in the Old Testament. And I'm going to read from the message today in this part. But we find this story um, where King David has just become king. And uh, Saul was the king before him, but he has just become king. And one of his first decisions is that he has decided no pun intended, to bring the Ark of the Covenant back into the city of David, back to the Israelites. And if you're unaware of what the Ark of the Covenant is, the Ark was a a big chest that was built under the governance of Moses, directed by God, and it had an angel at either end, and it was made out of pure gold. And it was kept behind the veil in in the temple of God. And that, in that box, we know, in the, in the ark, we know for sure was the stone tablets in which the Ten Commandments were written on. So within the ark was the, was the word, the written word of God. Scholar, a few different scholars say that also Aaron's staff that budded was in there and a bowl of manna was in there. And some scholars say, no, that's sat outside. But we know for sure that the, that the stones that God wrote with his finger were sitting in the Ark of the Covenant. So the Word of God was in the Ark of the Covenant. And so David decides to bring the Ark of the Covenant back. He didn't have to go to battle to get it because the Philistines had actually taken it in a previous battle. And every single city that they took it to, they were so chuffed with themselves, they would take it to one city and tumors would break out everywhere in the city. And people would just begin dying. And so they took it from that city and said, it doesn't work here, we'll take it to another one of our cities. And it happened again. Five cities they went through before they realized, I don't think we're meant to have stolen the word of God. And so they they put it on a cart and they send it off to an Israelite's house. And that is where the Ark of the Covenant rested. Saul had no intentions of bringing it back. It wasn't of importance to him. And that's where it had stayed. But now David was king. He wanted the ark back. He wanted the presence of the Lord back. And this is where we pick up our story. Is it really small up there? I'll open in my Bible. Uh, Okay. So David consulted with all of his leaders the commanders of thousands and hundreds. Then David addressed the entire assembly of Israel. And he says, if it seems right to you 
and it is God's will, let's invite all our relatives wherever they are throughout Israel, along with their relatives, including the priests and the Levites and and from their cities surrounding pastors to join us. And let's bring the chest of our God back. That's the message version of Ark of the Covenant. Back. The chest was that chest was that was out of sight, out of mind during the days of Saul. The entire assembly of Israel agreed, everybody agreed that it was the right thing to do. So David gathered all Israel together from Egypt's pond of Horus to the south, to the southwest in the pass of Hamath and in the northeast to go and get the chest of God from Kerath Jerim. And then David and all of Israel, can you skip Thanks. Um, They went and got the chest. And in the procession with the chest of God, David and all the Israelites worshipped exuberantly in song and dance with a marching band of all kinds of instruments. Can you imagine this? All a big, better than the marching koalas. They have gathered everyone. Every single musician that they possibly could is walking out in front. They have put the Ark of the Covenant on this cart and they are bringing it back. And when they were at the threshing floor of Kedon, the oxen stumbled and Uzzah grabbed the chest to keep it from falling. God erupted in anger against Uzzah and killed him because he grabbed the chest. He died on the spot in the presence of God. David lost his temper, angry because God exploded against Uzzah. The place is still called Perez Uzzah, exploded Uzzah. David was terrified of God that day. He said, how can I possibly continue this parade with the chest of God? So David called off the parade of the chest to the city of David. Instead, he stored it in the house of Obadiah, the Gittite. And the chest of God was in storage in the house of Obadiah. And for three months, God blessed that family of Obadiah and everything around him. Now, I've heard so many sermons on this passage of Scripture, and I was surprised when God led me to it, um, talking about reading the Word of God. And I, I've heard passages about, well, he, he, Yazar became too familiar with the presence of God, you, and, and things like that. And, but you can look at this story and think, that seems really harsh. He was doing God a favor. He was helping God. First, God doesn't need our favors. He doesn't need our help. He's got this. But where did it go wrong? And I wanted to go back to 1 Chronicles 13, 4. And in the, new, uh, in the New Living Translation, it says, the thing was right in the eyes of the people. I believe this is where David first went wrong. Because it says the thing was right in the eyes of the people. There was no word saying that it was right in the eyes of God. He said if it's God's will and it's right in the eyes of the people. But he only sought the eyes of the people. And whenever we make decisions that are only right in the eyes of people, we can never expect God to bless that. We are called to be those who make decisions that are right in the eyes of the Lord. And if people agree, that's just a bonus. I think David forgot that the kingdom of God was not a democracy. The very name itself, kingdom of God, kind of tells us who's in charge. God's in charge. 
And it's easy to feel sorry for David here. You think, poor David, he was doing the right thing. And he was. But there was something that he was missing. He looked for the decision to be right in the eyes of the people rather than right in the eyes of the word of God. He missed that the instructions of carrying the Ark of the Covenant were already written. And he did not consult the word of God on how to deal with the presence of God. It's easy to feel embarrassed for him because you can imagine how happy he would have been. It's almost anyone with dark humor can almost kind of giggle at that thinking it's like death at a funeral, kind of that kind of humor. He's dancing and loving and thinking this is great and then someone just drops dead next to the Ark of the Covenant. His zeal and passion were there. It says they worshipped exuberantly. But zeal and passion, without being tied to wisdom and knowledge, will always lead to trouble. Your zeal and passion, without knowledge and wisdom from God, will lead you down a path that you're not meant to walk. Your zeal and passion, maybe for your girlfriend or your boyfriend, Without tying to having wisdom and knowledge of how God says this, this will help you to do it like that, will lead you to a place you'll get hurt. Parenting with heaps of zeal and passion, but no boundaries or rules or coupled with with wisdom and knowledge will end up with a spoiled child who'll be rebellious and wayward because they never knew anything that constrained them or showed them the right way. Zeal and passion without Wisdom and knowledge will get us in trouble. And it got David in trouble. And so it is with our walk with the Lord. We can have a whole heap of zeal, a whole heap of passion. We can love him. But if it's not tied with wisdom and knowledge, if it's not founded in the word of God, we will become people who make our decisions about God based on our emotions rather than our convictions. And an emotional Christian will only ever serve when they feel like it. They'll only ever worship when they feel like it. They'll only ever give when they feel like it. They'll choose joy when they feel like it. But if we have zeal and passion and we tie with it the word of God that says, at all times I will praise his name. As for me and my house, we serve the Lord. I will give as a cheerful giver. Even your emotion cannot override it because it is your conviction and your life is built upon it. And that's when you stop having fans of Christ and you begin having disciples of Christ. Those who do things out of discipline, not just out of, I think I feel like it. In addition to this, it's not God's job to respond to our zeal and passion with an automatic download of his wisdom. It's our responsibility to seek out the treasures. He says there are treasures that are hidden. If you have eyes to see, if you've got ears to hear, you'll see it. It's not his responsibility to respond to our love of him by automatically downloading all the things we need to know. We are to search this out. Uh, Paul describes it as, take it as your job to search out the wondrous things that the scripture has. And this is why we're told to read the word daily. Read it daily, day and night. Not as a religious thing, 
but that we would get God's wisdom and God's honor in our heart, that we would begin to honor his ways above the ways of the world. And if, you, if we in, endeavor to be a victorious Christian, and when I say victorious Christian, I do, please don't make up your mind that a successful person who's a Christian, that's not what I'm talking about when I say victorious. You could be the poorest person in the world and be a really victorious Christian. When I say if we want to be victorious Christians, ones who take ground from the enemy, one who brings light into dark places, ones who pushes forward, the people who are not on the edge of revival but are right in, in the midst of it, praying it forward. If we want to be victorious Christians, we must have zeal and passion, but we must couple it with the Word of God. Why? Because the Word of God is our only offensive weapon in the, spirit, in the armor of the Spirit. Zeal and passion doesn't bring light. The word of God does. From the very first word God spoke, let there be light. He has, he has been separating light from darkness and his word still separates light from darkness. It hasn't stopped doing that. If we expect to go into dark places and our love for God be the thing that changes it, that, that's not what the word of God says. It says the scripture changes it. The Word of God changes it. We must begin to become reverent of the Word of God and must take this as a priority. So where did the Israelites, back to our story, get the idea to bring the Ark of the Covenant back on a cart? It says they put it on a new cart. Where did they get that idea? Who Who built the old cart? The Philistines, their enemies. They built a cart because their enemies built the cart. The Israelites were honoring God in the same way that those who had no knowledge of him were honoring God. How often do we look to the world for the ways to do life, copy them, and then expect God to bless that? We copy the way they dress, copy the way that they speak. It's okay to speak about government poorly. No, it's not. Even if we don't agree with their policies, the word of God says we're to honor all authority and to speak well of them. The world thinks that lies are just okay. No, it's not. There are seven things that God says he hates. Lying's one of them. In the way that, the way that we might treat our job, we don't really give an effort because it's not what we want to do. But God says, whatever you put your hand to, do it with all your mind because you would be honoring and serving the Lord. These are things that we need to know and we find them out because they're in the Bible. Our ideas of entertainment, we try and copy. There are things that we as Christians will sit and enjoy and we know that the Spirit of God is so offended by them. ideas and mindsets. The Israelites were copying the Philistines and then putting a parade in front of them, singing about God, thinking that was okay. In the same way that we copy the world and then if we sing or hashtag God's good, we hope it's okay. But we're never meant to look like the world, church. We're not meant to look to the world for wisdom. 
We're told to meditate on his word day and night so that the world would begin to see him in us. When Joshua 8, I don't have it up there, so sorry, Caleb. It says, do not let the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it. Psalm 1 said, blessed is he who does not walk in the, in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is on the law of the Lord. And he meditates on it day and night. And what does it say? It says he'll be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. He goes on to say that not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. They won't stand in the assembly of the righteous and they won't stand in his presence, but God watches the righteous meditate on his word day and night. Do you know his word? Can you speak it in season? Or do we have to Google it? We need to know our word. Even last night, more than ever, we need to know our word. Last night, I read something that a very, very high up position in a different denomination spoke out and said, Adam and Eve is just a fable. And that hell is not a real place. This is a Christian denomination. We need to know our Bible more than ever. That we would be people who don't look to the world and think, actually, hell doesn't sound nice, so let's not make it real. The word of God needs to be so in us that we would use it as the weapon it was made for. We can't model our life on the world and expect to get God's goodness. We need to get the word in us and allow that to come out of us in our life. John 1.5 says, And the light shines on in the darkness, for the darkness has never overpowered it, put it out, absorbed it, appropriated it, and it is unreceptive to it. If only David had turned to the book to find out how to carry the Ark of the Covenant. This whole embarrassing situation could have been avoided. He could have avoided someone dying. He could, the ark could be with him right there and then. How many situations, just off the top of your head, please don't shout them out, could have been avoided if you'd either, one, obeyed the scripture and applied it, or two, took the time to find out what the scripture said about it. Uh, there are heartbreaks that I could have steered clear of many times. And so David, if you read on, you'll see that David, he was so angry with God. He was so angry that God did not honor what he had done. But one of the reasons we actually need to know our Bible is that we won't take things out of it put it to our context and demand that God would act upon it and then we get angry at him when he doesn't. We need to know the word of God so we know what God meant when he said it and we can get on board with his plans rather than Him try, making him get on board with our plans. We need to know our Bible. And so after the anger settled, 
He went back and he read the word of God. He read in Leviticus that it was to be carried on poles by only the Levites. Why? Because they were the worshippers. It was not meant to be upon a man-made thing and it wasn't meant to be carried by animals. It was to be upon the shoulders of the men that God desired to dwell with. And so he read how he was meant to carry it. He turned his eyes away from what the world was doing, looked to the scriptures and said, now I know how to move forward. I pray that you would begin to get in the habit of turning your eyes from the world, looking to the scriptures and saying, now I know how to move forward. He did not cry out in prayer, what should I do? What's my purpose? Here's an all-time favorite. Speak to me. He did not go back and cry that out. It is a very common thing that us as um, a modern-day church will say, God's not speaking to me. God's not speaking to me. What is my purpose? Let me ask you this question. Why would God speak a new thing to a people who disregard what he's already spoken. He has spoken. He is speaking. It actually takes effort to hear him. And Jesus talked about that they are jewels to find, like hidden treasure, but you must have eyes to see and ears to hear. We must read his word. And build our lives upon it. And this is why you'll hear me so much teach about the Bible. Because I believe it's the only thing that can change a life. It is the only thing that will change a life. And God willing and God empowering, I'll continue to speak this Bible until my breath's gone away. Because I believe it's the only thing that gives life. And you need to be putting it in you so you can speak life also. Let us not be like the Israelites when, when back when Moses said, consecrate yourself because in three days the Lord's going to come and he wants to meet with us all. But when the cloud descended, all the people just said to Moses, you go talk to him and bring back the word. Let us not be like that, that we would just say to preachers, you go talk to him and bring back the word. Let us not just look to series all the time and you go and spend months of of your time and, and seek out the Lord and bring it back to us. Preaching and teaching is good and I love it and I praise God that he, that he empowers people to do that. But he has, he made a way through Jesus Christ that you would go and get your word and bring it back. That it's not just that we, we expect people to bring a second hand piece of information. He's speaking now. And you might look at this story and say, Jess, I think you've missed something. It's in the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. It all points to Jesus. But it's in the Old Testament. We're under grace now. Yes, we are. Thank the Lord. We don't have to worry about working our way to God anymore. You're correct. We don't have to worry about working our way to God anymore. We are right standing with him. But can I tell you something about grace? Grace changes our position before God. It does not change who God is. 
Grace changed the way that God looks at us. We're now spotless, faultless. He sees Jesus when he looks at us. But it doesn't change that there is a God who already outlaid the ways in which we should live. Grace changes our position with God. It doesn't change who God is. And it doesn't change the instructions that God gave us. Grace means that we now have the power to outlive them. And grace covers when we fall, but it strengthens when we get back up. We still have a God who is holy. We still have a God who deserves honor. We still have a God who who the whole earth trembles at his name, whether or not we agree with it. He is holy. And grace changes the fact that we can walk straight up to him and go, Dad. But it doesn't change who he is. He's still looking for a people who will dedicate their lives to honoring his word. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, Every scripture is God-breathed. Mercy upon the man who says that this is just a fable. It's given by his inspiration, profitable for instruction, Reproof of conviction of sin for correction of error and discipline in obedience for training in righteousness. It will help you to live holy. It will help you to conform your mind in thought, purpose, and action. And when we commit to learning and studying and meditating on God's words, you'll just start to notice things gradually change in you. It won't be a, I read a scripture, now that's it. It's a commitment and I have decided that this is what I'll build my life upon. You'll gradually see that you won't make decisions out of convenience anymore, but rather conviction. Keep putting it in and your decisions won't be made from preference, rather purpose. A lot of the times, I have a preference to just not care. But my purpose causes me to. I had two different friends' parties I could have gone to yesterday, and they were my preferences. But my purpose was to be rooted and grounded in the Word of God so that I could minister from His Word today. You'll start to see holiness as a, as a priority rather than, than fleeting happiness, and soon you'll see that joy is actually an outcome of holiness anyway. But for this to happen, we must restore honor to his word. In Malachi 2.5, God is speaking and he says, the purpose of my covenant with the Levites was to bring life and peace. And that is what I gave them. Look what he said required of them. This required reverence of them. And they greatly revered me and stood in awe of my name. Reverence. If we read on, David actually, he went back and he did the right thing. He got the Levites to, to walk it in and they walked six steps and they went, put it down. We're going to put an offering here. And they were so overwhelmed with joy and everything went as it should. And it says that God helped them and strengthened them and there was great joy. God will help us along the path that he has set. He strengthens us along the path that we have set and we will find great joy. It says they took the Ark and the Covenant 
right to the center of the tent. Right in the center, right where it's meant to be. The word of God was right in the center. And that was the day that David initiated that there was to be regular worship all day long. There's something that happens when the word of God is right at the center within you. You just begin to worship all day long. Even when things don't go your way, you just begin to worship. How good's God? How good is God? I know that didn't turn out the way that I was hoping, but God's still God. I'm still going to worship. But as I said before, the love of God will only take us so far. It must be coupled with the wisdom and knowledge. Jesus said these words, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. How do you keep something you don't know? Your love must lead you to the Bible. Your love must lead you to the word. And um, I'm not actually going to invite the band, um, but Luke, can you help on the keys if that's okay? This morning I'd love to pray for anyone in the band. I'll pray for other people as well who I believe that God will ignite a passionate love affair with the Bible today or reignite. Some people, as I did, need to ask for repentance for the irreverence that we have shown his word. And repentance isn't a condemnation thing. It is just, God, I am coming back. I'm sorry for the way I disregarded what you had to say. I'm listening. I am listening. But there was a word that God and those who have ears to hear will hear this that I believe God was saying to Christians, time to mature. Time to mature. Talks about that when we're new Christians, and I love being around new Christians because everything is exciting to them. Everything is new. Why hasn't people told me about this before? I love being around new Christians. And there's a time for new Christians to have milk and just feed on the basics and things. But for those of us who have been around the traps and we've never actually bothered to know our Bible, the word God has for you today is time to mature. Because there is ground to take. There is light to be shone. There are souls to be saved that need us to know how to use our sword. You can't use what you don't have. Get it in us. So if we would stand today, I want to pray for anyone in the music team because you're actually described as modern-day Levites, people who carry worship. And I want a fresh reverence and anointing that you would revere the word of God like never before. A supernatural love and fire would be birthed within you. So if we could stand church, I'd love to pray with the musicians. If you'd want to come down the front, anyone who's a musician in our church, I want to pray for you. And if, you, if that word, time to mature, spoke to you, I want you to come join Time to mature, time to know the word of God. If there is, in your heart, you want to repent,
And that's not a, oh, why are they down the front? They mustn't read their Bible ever. Look, I read my Bible and I still had like the booger in the hair kind of cry the other day because we need to, we need to, need to, need to build our life upon the rock. So please, if that's you today, come and join us and we're going to pray. We'll wait. That we would decide that we would be be a people who revere what God has spoken. It is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Thank you, Jesus. Firstly, if you're near a musician... Would you put your hands on them and we're going to pray for them? Father, we bring the worshippers of our house to you this morning. We present ourselves as living sacrifices. God, we repent for how we have ignored the words that you have been speaking. We turn from our ignorant ways, from from petty things that take our attention. But today we decide to put our eyes upon you. I pray for a new and fresh anointing upon worshippers in our house. That there would be a love and a deep desire for the word of God that could not be quenched. That when they speak, the word of God comes out. When they know to be quiet, they know to be quiet. They walk into dark places and they bring light. That they carry a two-edged sword that is sharp and that they are well skilled in. That they would go forth into the spirit realm and break through chains that have been put there for centuries. That they would take ground that the enemy said that they hold. But we would declare the name of Jesus that they would have a spirit of reverence about God's house and about his presence and about his word. I release that in the name of Jesus Christ.